Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. About two and a half years ago, the ghost ship warehouse fire rocked the Bay Area and the artistic community in Oakland. 36 people died, and the trauma of losing so many young, gifted people was felt all over again last week. Jurors will hear from witnesses this week in the criminal trial of two men charged with involuntary manslaughter for the ghost ship warehouse fire. And some new narratives about what happened that night are starting to come out. He introduced something that I don't think really anybody has expected. Today, the different accounts of who exactly is responsible for the death of 36 people who died in the ghost ship warehouse fire. I'm Erica Aguilar. Welcome to the Bay. Tuesday was opening statements. I arrived at about 7.30 in the morning. I didn't really know how uh, crowded the courtroom was going to be, so I made sure I was there early. Don Clyde is a reporter and producer at KQED. He helped the newsroom cover the fire in 2016. What I recall on the night of was seeing kind of frantic calls and emails being sent. First responders and firefighters are still pulling bodies from the rubble. Facebook posts, I was hearing people reaching out to see if they could locate people. They say it's slow and painstaking work and the death toll is only rising. They have not yet released the identities of the victims. I live a couple of miles from there and to see that this had happened overnight was um, very tragic. I did not know any of the victims in the fire, but I know people who were friends with them, and you could see how it affected them. Two people are facing criminal charges for the fire. Master Tenant Derek Almena, who was 49 years old, and 29-year-old Max Harris, who's often described as Almena's second-in-command. Their trial started last week with opening statements. No recording was allowed inside the courtroom, but Don said things were very emotional. Alameda County Assistant District Attorney Casey Bates 
began to read the names of all of the victims, one after another, with images alongside. It was dramatic. You could hear sobbing in the audience. I saw people passing boxes of tissues back and forth. Wow. There are 36 names. 36, yes. Hence the 36 counts of involuntary manslaughter for each of the defendants. Bates went on to argue that Master Tenant Derek Almena and Max Harris, another tenant, had illegally converted this commercial warehouse into a residential and performance space. Mm. They didn't implement proper safety regulations. They didn't install sprinklers. Bates said that individual residential spaces within the warehouse, walls separating you know, individual living areas were constructed out of doors, out of windows. They were made out of pianos. So not like the drywall that you would see in a normal building or and something. And that was a statement that Bates made. He said there was no sheetrock put up. Sheetrock would have prevented the rapid spread of fire in this space. The warehouse called the Ghost Ship was a two-story space filled with wooden carvings, ornate rugs, and artwork, where people lived, made art, danced, and gathered. He said there were five recreational vehicles in, in the building. Like the RVs? F- yes. Inside R- the, the warehouse? Yes, three RVs were the types with an engine, and there were two that were trailers. He also described that because a lot of artists were in this space, there were really flammable materials. A lot of wood was brought in, paints, solvents, power tools. There were microwaves. There were toasters. There were all kinds of equipment in there. Mm -hmm. His big refrain for the day was the people, the victims of this fire, had no notice. They had no time, and they had no exits to escape. How many people were living in the ghost ship warehouse? Bates said that on the night of the fire, there were 13 people living in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. And he said that at any time leading up to the fire, there could have been as many as 25 living there. Mm. Bates showed a couple of police videos. One was in June 2015. And in it, Omena, he said, nobody lives here. We just build sets here. Bates also showed video in June 2015 also of Harris saying, no, we work here. It's a 24-hour work studio. So nobody lives here, you're saying? I thought people no, lived here. No, we work here. It's a 24-hour hour Oh, okay. So Prosecutor Bates, he's basically framing up his argument, saying, like, Harris and Almena are responsible because of the way they set it up and because of, of how they, they built it out on the inside. Right. The argument is that they skirted regulations. They skirted safety regulations. There was not a whole lot of um, consideration for a residential space. Yeah, this is Bates's argument. Yeah. yeah. What else did he say? Bates also played for the jury a 911 call. Mm. And in it, you hear kind of the frantic cries of a person yelling, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, please help. This really overwhelmed the courthouse. I mean, the, the courtroom, you could hear tears. It was, it was very hard to hear. I didn't know any of these people, and I can't imagine what it was like for people to rehear that at that moment. Mm-hmm. That was 
incredibly dramatic. And dramatic doesn't do it justice. It was, it was awful to hear. Almana and Harris had agreed to a plea deal last year. It would have sent Almana to nine years in jail and six years for Harris, but a judge rejected that agreement, saying he didn't think Almana had showed remorse for the victims. What did the defense attorneys for Almana and Harris say in their arguments in court? After lunch recess, Curtis Briggs, who represents Max Harris, made his opening statements. He introduced something that I don't think really anybody has expected, and that was the defense is going to introduce evidence in this case, in this trial, that arson was actually the cause of the place. So in the... Is it something that we've heard before, like in the story, like in coverage? I don't recall hearing an arson notion being brought up. Was there ever a cause to the fire? Like, was that ever determined? The cause of this blaze was never determined. And so this is an interesting, almost theory, about how this happened. Curtis Briggs, who represents Max Harris, says there are witnesses who will testify that said there was a fight or there was a scuffle, that they heard popping sounds which may have been breaking glass near the area of where the fire started. Like right before the fire? Right before the fire. Mm -hmm. He also said that there is one person who will testify that said they saw seven to 10 Latino men in dark clothing. What? Talking about setting up a wooden obstruction in in the area and saying they were really gonna have trouble getting out. There were at least 10 unknown people dressed in black in the area of the origin of the fire at the time that it started. And then to fail to adequately rule out or rule in arson, uh, it was a major misstep. And it's the reason why they didn't solve this particular crime. It's the reason why they have the wrong people in the defendant chair. He kind of alluded to there being a a beef with the proprietor of the uh, business next door. It was an auto shop. Mm. He didn't explicitly say that any of these were connected. But he said that there would be motive or he could present evidence that would present a motive for arson in this case. So Sarah and Briggs, the two attorneys that are representing the tenants on trial, um, do you have any idea of like how they're going to do that? Or you've heard of pieces of evidence that even lend to that idea? Yeah, I mean, Sarah spoke after opening statements outside of downstairs in the lobby of the courthouse. And he was asked if there was any, any evidence of, of, of arson, you know, broken bottles that might have been Molotov cocktails. And he said, no, it was an intense blaze there. Maybe all evidence of it was destroyed. Well, the fire raged in that area. Everything, then they took it all to the dumps, or we'll never know. He just has to convince a jury that there is doubt beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what the prosecution has to meet. So the defense attorney sounds like, to me, that they are trying to insert in their their argument some doubt. Yes. The the, the thing is, even if it's arson, if 
Harris and Almena had created a space that was still so unsafe, does that absolve them of the crime? Right. Mm -hmm. Does that absolve them of the responsibility of creating an unsafe space for people who couldn't escape a place? You raise some interesting questions there about responsibility, because I feel when these conversations turn into uh, a question of, like, why were people forced to live there? Like, mm-hmm. You think about the housing crisis that we mm-hmm. have now. Mm-hmm. You think about the affordability crisis that we have, especially with artists in the Bay Area. And so theoretically, this this conversation about responsibility then starts to spread beyond this criminal trial to this, like, what is our responsibility to make sure that if there are warehouses like this, that it's safe? You know, I don't know. It, that's a confusing question to me, too. And I, I think that that was the discussion at the time. I went to West Oakland yesterday to knock on the door of an artist collective that's housed in an old warehouse. The place is named, and this is chilling in light of recent events, The Death Trap. It's one of the buildings that was just named in an illegal housing complaint yesterday, which may explain why no one there wanted to talk to me. They said they were holding an emergency meeting about the building's safety and weren't sure yet whether they wanted to talk to the media about their space. Just talking briefly about it recently, it seems like this issue of gentrification hadn't really been kind Mm -hmm. of in the limelight anymore, that that has kind of gone away in this case. And and just to reframe it in the context of the trials, the the defense is also going to argue in light to make their clients seem more sympathetic is that this warehouse was created as a place of refuge for mm-hmm. people who were homeless or nearly homeless. Right. They said if you couldn't pay the rent, we weren't going to kick you out. Essentially argue that these this warehouse was an egalitarian place for people to live. You know, I think what both defense attorneys are doing is trying to build sympathies for their clients. Briggs will say that he would describe Harris almost as, he used these terms, Christ-like, Buddhistic, he described him as a servant. He was more of a janitor. Sarah described Almena as art being his passion, mm. him being 100% artist. The defense attorneys have sought to shift blame for the fire onto the city. In a long line of witnesses to testify in the following weeks, the defense is expected to argue that city inspectors, police, child protective services had all been to the building before the fire, but failed to shut it down. Testimony is expected to begin this week, and we can expect to hear from Almena and Harris. People who were at the warehouse the night of the fire are going to testify. The, the, the witness list is quite long, and this trial could last for months. Don Clyde is a reporter and producer for KQED. The Ghost Ship Warehouse fire was one of the deadliest building fires in California history since the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Its victims were young, musicians, artists, students, some of them older, but all doing the type of thing that the Bay Area values. That's artistic expression and living a free, independent spirit. So for the families and friends, this trial could go on for months and it'll be hard and heartbreaking as each side brings up witnesses and pieces of evidence from that very traumatic night. I'm Erica Aguilar. Thanks for listening. See you on Wednesday.
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 